0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is America's okay. Web Radio.
1: Good morning, America. This is Pete Mecca, your host for A Veteran Story on com. Good morning, everybody, and I have a very special guest today, Ms. Zelly Orr. Zelly is an author, a motivational speaker, and, boy, she gives a great presentation and she is an internationally known authority, historian, and expert on the Tuskegee Airmen. Zali, welcome to the program. Thank you, Pete. Good morning. Uh, good morning to you, too, my friend. Uh, let's start with this. I know that lately, in the past decade or so, the Tuskegee Airmen have gotten the recognition they deserve, but uh, I understand there were four different groups of black military pilots trained at the Tuskegee Army Airfield. Can you expand on that a
2: little bit? Yeah, there were actually four, and that four comprised uh, the 332nd Fighter Group, which most people uh, are aware of because they're the ones that served overseas in combat. The 332nd had the four squadrons, and they were the 99th, 100th, 301st, and 302nd. So they're the ones that get the publicity because they are known as the Red Tails. But also there was the 477th Bombardment Group. Now, they did not get to go overseas. However, they trained to fly the B-25s during World War II. The 477th made an indelible mark in history because they took a stand here in the United States at Freeman Field, against segregated officers' clubs, they weren't allowed to use the facility, even though they were officers. So they actually had a nonviolent protest, and 104 of those men were placed under arrest. Uh, it was actually 50 years after 1945 when they were arrested. 50 years later, President Clinton lifted and exonerated uh, from their records, well, expunged from their records that particular thing that happened at Freeman Field, so it was serious. So, again, they had the 332nd Fighter Group, 477th Bombardment Group, and there were the liaison pilots that were the ones who actually trained at Tuskegee for about, I think it was maybe 12 weeks, and they would actually fly for the regular army. And those men ended up leaving Tuskegee, went to army bases where they got more training, and they also flew in combat. They did not fly with the red tails, but so they were the liaison pilots. And the fourth group happened to be Haitian. Actually, the Haitian Air Force had six of their pilots to come to America and train. Five of those men actually earned their pilot wings. One did not and they went back
1: to haiti
0: and flew there Pete, hello yeah pete hello i don't know where pete went uh, he may have yeah this is amazing uh... I'm David Moxley. I own the station. And uh, let's go on more about uh, the – now, were they under the Army or under the uh, Air Force at that point?
2: Okay. The liaison pilots were under the regular Army. The Haitians
0: were – Okay. Pete's back with us now. Hello? Yeah, Pete, Haitians you're back with the us? Air Force. Okay, anyway, if you don't mind answering my question about uh, Army or Air Force.
2: Okay, of the four groups?
1: Yes,
0: ma'am. Two
2: were under the Army Air Corps. One was under the regular Army, and the other was under the Haitian Air Force. Wow. Wow.
0: So... <laughs> Is there was there a language barrier at all?
2: Well, the Haitians, yes, but fortunately for them at Tuskegee, there were men from New Orleans who spoke, as they said, uh, broken French or what is known as Creole, and that's how they were able to communicate. Wow! Is with, so the men. I'm with you? I think. Can you hear me? Yeah, we're. I can't. Yeah,
1: yeah, I don't know what okay, what happened, but. All right, David, I think I got it again, okay? Yeah, you got it. You're on. Okay, thank you very much. I don't know what happened there, folks. I just got disconnected or something. Uh, I was asking you about the liaison pilots, uh, Zelly. They went with the uh, 92nd and the 93rd infantry overseas. Uh, What kind of airplanes did they fly in combat?
2: They flew, like, the L, the the little... uh, some flew Piper Cubs. Actually I have a picture of one of the airmen in the ninety second with a, a uh, that shows a P fifty one but his daughter mentioned when she sent me the picture he flew the Piper Cub. But a lot of them flew uh, the ninety second actually were in Italy also, not with the red tails, but they were they, they flew around the Po Valley area and Arno but the ninety third flew in the South Pacific. I didn't
1: know the 93rd flew in the Pacific. Interesting. Exactly. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, now, I know these little Piper Cubs, uh, we used those Cessnas in Vietnam. They were very, very vulnerable to ground fire. Were these like just uh, uh, flying people back and forth, or were they what you call like artillery
2: spotters? Yes, yeah, that's what they were. They were observation pilots. <clears> they <throat> <clears throat> get the observation and the wow.
1: 93rd,
2: too, yes. Okay. Uh, can you expand a little
1: bit on the Tuskegee Airfield, how that came about? Can you tell us that?
2: Well, that was a push, obviously, when, for blacks to fly. So there were people who were pushing, and I say pushing, that were supporting blacks becoming uh, pilots and and to support positions. That included people like Mrs. Roosevelt, Eleanor Roosevelt, along with, of course, black newspaper reporters. Uh, there was also, uh, there were others, but the main thing is they wanted blacks to fly. However, because of America's policy on segregation, they would not allow blacks to fly with whites, so they created a separate base where they would be trained, and they chose Tuskegee for that uh, field. Huh.
1: Well, now, what, have you, you've you been to Tuskegee, right? I have, yes. <clears throat> Can you explain uh, uh, through your research and everything exactly what that armor field was like? I mean, it was like a grass strip or what?
2: Yeah, okay. Today at Tuskegee, the museum is at Moten Field. And Moten Field, so if you go down to Tuskegee, Moten Field is where... You had the primary training, but when they went to basic and advanced, that's when they went to Tuskegee Army Airfield. And it was actually at Tuskegee Army Airfield where they had, the, they had a uh, theater, they had uh, the tents, they had, I mean, all the living quarters. From what I understand, that was actually a city in itself. So most people, when they go to Tuskegee today and go to Moton Field, they think that it's where the men really were only at. However, that is a small, small field compared to Tuskegee Army Airfield. Huh. I did not know that. <clears throat> now,
1: Tuskegee is a little town in Alabama, right? Yes. <clears throat> okay. Well, back in those days, uh, what do you think the population may have been there?
2: Well, I put it this way. Tuskegee Army Airfield. From forty-one to forty-six, had some sixteen thousand just on that field alone, mm-hmm. and the field was within about seven miles outside of the city limits. But it was the, they, so they were located where was known at the time. It was Tuskegee Institute, Alabama. The institute was dropped later, so that city I would assume again booming with the base and all had to have easily thirty thousand people. Wow. <clears throat>
1: okay. Now, that was a, a time of segregation and everything. Uh, were
2: the Tuskegee Airmen welcome in town? Do you know that? They were not from the stories, and I have met some of the men from World War II. Uh, they explained they were not. Uh, that's why most of them actually stayed on the base because they had, you know, completely uh, independent as far as being able to do their shopping, their groceries, and all of that. Huh. Did did they start out
1: training on the Stearman biplane like most of our uh, pilots did?
2: Some did. I won't say that all did, but some definitely trained in the Stearman. But some did not. I was told that they didn't, but I know a lot of them did.
1: I know that that a lot of the Tuskegee Airmen already had their license. Uh, Did they also accept uh, uh, black uh, trainees that did
2: not have a pilot's license? Yeah. When that program started in 41, of course, as you know, the Civilian Pilot Training Program, the CPT, uh, had already started around 1939. So there were colleges, at least about seven places where blacks were able to go and become a part of that program. So they had their civilian pilot license. several did. And so when they came to Tuskegee in 41, there were a number of uh, guys who came down that were already trained to fly, but of course not for the military. But the military did bring in cadets who did not have a license. Huh. Well, do you know what the uh, uh,
1: rate was for dropouts, in other words, that couldn't make it, or, or did most of them get through the train and do just fine?
2: Again, from what I understand and here, at least a third dropped out. There were at least a third, so <laughs> if there were uh, a three thousand that actually, that actually went through the program, so a thousand end up getting their wings. That means really two thirds were there was a dropout rate because we're talking about only one third getting their wings, opposed to two thirds getting their wings.
1: Yeah, and that was about the washout rate too for uh, uh, other pilots in the Army Air Corps at that time. Uh, <clears throat> Well, that's just very interesting. Everything. Uh, I've flown the Stearman. It's a good plane to fly. Uh, they're still flying today. Uh, I love that aircraft. It's a great training aircraft. Um, do you know of any
2: other type trainers that they had at Tuskegee? I'm not. Sh- I-, I won't say yes because I'm not really sure, and I don't want to to give the wrong thing. But I do know sure that a lot of the civilian pilots trained in the Piper Cub. That's why there were actually two women at Tuskegee who ended up getting their civilian pilot's license, but they trained in the uh, Piper Cub. Really? Okay. Well, I think now the, the Haitians, they flew the T-6. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And, and, yeah, that's what, and by the way, I'm glad you mentioned that. So that was, again, one of the uh, type aircraft they trained in. They did train in the T-6s at Tuskegee.
1: I have a buddy who owns a T-6 that was a good trainer and uh, during one of the Patriotic programs at the General Ray Davis School, he buzzed the field for me and the students were really excited to see that T-6 fly around there the uh, football
2: field. Uh, Maybe we have to find out what is the number on that aircraft and see if it was ever at Tuskegee.
1: That's a good idea. Uh, his, his uh, call sign is Nomad. I'll call Nomad tonight and find out for you. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, we're going to go to our first break, and uh, we'll be right back with uh, more about the Tuskegee Airmen. Stand by, Billy.
0: Perfect timing, Pete. Uh, Thank you for coming to us for the break. We're going to uh, do a live break, uh, a couple of them this time, in that we want to be sure everybody knows and is aware of the fact that the Healing Wall in Johns Creek, Georgia, in Newtown Park is open. And The Healing Wall is a 50% replica of the Vietnam Veterans Wall in Washington, D.C. that traveled all over the United States and has touched more lives and helped more people with closure than we can imagine. So anytime you're in Atlanta, Georgia, we encourage you to come out to George uh, John's Creek and go to the Healing Wall, also at uh, Perimeter... Uh, They have a uh, perimeter center area. They have a uh, memorial to Vietnam veterans. And, of course, this show is sponsored by the Georgia Military Hall of Fame. And uh, we want to take our hats off to them. If you're coming to Georgia, there are so many opportunities to learn about The greatest generation and I include the Vietnam veterans right up there with them Uh, they've endured a lot of things that the that the vets coming back from World War two didn't have to endure and our hats are off to all veterans and we want to be known as the veterans radio station America's web radio and at the same time we always tip our hats to our first responders i'm a vet i was also a first responder at one time and uh it's been i've had an interesting life and it's been an interesting uh road to hoe but anyway we tip our hats to all that take care of us on a day in and day out basis with that being said we're going to return to pete and his guest, and this is a very interesting show giving us information that I certainly didn't have. So, Pete, back to you.
1: Got right, Thank Thanks, Dave. Uh, <clears throat> Zelly, I know that you even make a presentation on our next subject, and you could probably talk for an hour on this, but we got about 13 minutes. I want you to tell the people what happened in December of 1944 over in Italy that included the uh, 18 white bomber crews from the 485th
2: bomber group. Tell the story, young lady. Okay. In December 44 at Ramatelli, Italy, the weather was really bad, and the 485th bomb group were returning from a mission. And the weather, because, again, it was inclement, it was so cloudy, uh, actually they could not even see where the landing strips were. There was a lot of snow at all. They ended up being told, they got word, that there was a field below a base where they could land. They didn't realize at the time it was going to be the Tuskegee Airmen or, quote, the 332nd uh, base that they would be landing at where these black men were. But anyway, they ended up landing, and that in itself was a great feat because, remember, these are, it was a fighter pilot base, so obviously... When these large bombers are coming in, these B-17s, they are really large, and so trying to land on a strip where fighters are, and also at that same time, the fighter pilots had been out on a mission. So as the control tower guy is having the bombers land, he, helps, he has to also coordinate the landing of the fighters. And <laughs> when they landed, there was no incident it was an accident. Everybody landed safely. But when the 485th got there, and they were able to exit from the plane, they ended up meeting these black guys, and for four to five days, because of the bad weather, they were forced to stay there at Ramatelli, and they de- the, the black guys, befriended the white guys, and vice versa, and they ended up eating together, actually sharing tents and, and uh, everything their housing together. They went to church together, they sang songs together. And B.O. Davis, Jr., who was a commander at the time, wrote in his own autobiography, he said that this was the first known integration of the Air Force, he said, and it could not have happened at home, because segregation was so rapid in the United States that he really felt that there was no way at home would black and whites be able to intermingle living together like they did? And those men actually, after the war, they did not see each other again for almost 60 years, but they always remembered that time they got to spend together. Because as a white, I got to meet some of the white guys and black guys who had lived together during that time, and they shared with me how As far as a white person, they said, you know what, I saw blacks differently because for the first time I realized that they're intelligence and all. So it was a pretty sad thing that America had to deal with the segregated issues of having to spend all of this extra money where you got separate training and maybe had they understood that if everybody was given an equal chance, amount of money that could have been saved by having blacks and whites together.
1: That's a very good point. I like that. It, it, I know that the Red Tails had the C-51s, but they were called the Red Tails for our listeners that don't know because the tail of the aircraft, the fighters were painted
2: red. Isn't that correct? It is, and, and remember they all of the fighter groups had distinguished paintings, so uh, they would know, obviously, when they were in the sky flying, kind of who was an ally versus who is an enemy. But, yes, the Tuskegee Airmen's tails were red, and some of the tips of <laughs> the, the wings.
1: That's that's amazing. I know that the German pilots uh, had a lot of respect for the red tails. The red tails were, uh, let's just say, uh, vidicious in combat. They, they went above and beyond the pale many times. And I believe toward the end of the war, especially maybe after they segregated there for a little while, that a lot of the uh, white bomber groups uh, asked for
2: the red tails to defend them. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, I was told by some of the airmen who were at Ramatelli is that what happened, sometimes the bombers ended up landing at their base because, again, if they had problems with their aircraft, they would end up landing at the nearest base. So some of the guys ended up landing with them, and really, they also repaired some of their aircraft. So there was a connection they ended up getting once they were able to interact with blacks. Huh. That, that was a one thing I believe uh, some
1: people don't understand, is that uh, to get these men in the air, the Red Tails and, and the other group of black pilots, they had to have uh, support uh, mechanics and nurses and everything else and they were there in Italy to keep these planes flying and they were just as
2: good as anyone else yeah and, and actually even here at home when we talk about ground support there were women who were mechanics they got trained at Curtis Wright Aeronautical School uh, among the schools was one in New York and they were actually based on the 1942 newspaper I have is they were called mechanics. And those women, and we just talking about here in the U.S., but also, like you said, overseas at Ramatelli, you had the ground crew that some took care of, whether it was the propellers or whether it was the instruments or just every piece you can think of, including health. You know, there were the doctors and, and you know, the medical staff. There were the, the cooks because, again, it was a segregated base, so they operated as a little city with blacks in yes. all positions. Hi, uh, you still
1: with me, Billy? I am. Okay, I thought I heard something click there. I, I would just, uh, uh, don't take this wrong, but I wonder, <laughs> the, the, the uh, black cooks there at Ramatelli, I wonder what kind of food they had, just basic military, or did they really uh, 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 cook some good home
2: cooking for these pilots? <laughs> I would think that they kind of, now, actually, some of the guys from the 485th told me that the food was definitely different. I mean, good, different. So I would think that the black guys, though they had some of the same food, it's just the way they would cook it, you know, as for the different kind of herbs or whatever they might use. But truly, the 485th bomb group, I met six of those guys, and they talked about how the food was definitely good. I bet it was. Uh, my wife and I... Several years
1: back, went through Eufaula, uh, Alabama, and we stopped for lunch. And we noticed that everybody was going down uh, town uh, behind the buildings to this one little restaurant. And it was a, a, a lady, a black lady, owned it, and her uh, crew was uh, black also. But we had to stand in line thirty minutes to get into the place. Uh, <laughs> some of the best best food I've ever eaten in my life. So I bet the red tails ate good. Uh, did, you know, did, do you know of any problems that they had with the weather or with the Italian citizens or anything like that?
2: No. The Italian citizens, I hear, tr- uh, treated them well. Matter of fact, that they would go into town and the girls would dance with them. And, and that, again, was an issue for them because the Italians treated them well. However, like they said, when, when white guys came, I mean, it became a thing where... They did not like the idea that these black men would, be, you know, uh, actually intermingling with somebody that was not black. So, huh. It, unfortunately, it seemed to be only Americans, from what I could understand, that really continued that tradition of uh, separation. Yeah, I think the same thing happened in World War One with the French.
1: They were happy to see the black soldiers over there, but, uh, uh, matter of fact, the French supplied our black troops uh, with their weapons. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We uh, the Redtails. They built up a very impressive record there in Italy. Do you know uh, the ratio of, of uh, and how many did we lose there? By
2: the way, the number used to be sixty six, and of course, with history as people do more research, it's gotten up to be as as many as seventy four that were killed uh, overseas. At least seventy four of the pilots that died, and I think about three on the ground, because something happened where, you know, someone on the ground was killed, but at least 74 of the men at Ramatelli died in combat.
1: Wow. I did not know it was that high. Yeah. Okay. Well, what do you know their kill ratio, when say kill, I mean uh, how many they shot down in defense of the bombers and on their missions? I know they, did they not, uh, uh, sink a a German destroyer or something like that?
2: Yeah, at least uh, three, as they were returning, saying, from a a strafing mission, they came across uh, this ship. Matter of fact, I looked it up and found out it was called the Decepts Massori. And uh, anyway, they ended up shooting at it, and as they hit it, somehow one of the, I'm going to say, the ammunition, they're thinking hit something that caused it to explode. So it's true that the ship was heavily damaged. Uh, it, in the movie at all, it said that it went completely under. According to research today, the ship was put out of commission. It couldn't be used anymore, and there were at least about 40 people on board. But, uh, they oh. did heavily damage that ship. And it, that had never happened before, using only machines on fire.
1: Huh. Okay. Well, do you know the... Uh how many uh, uh, enemy
2: aircraft the Red Tails shot down? I don't. I don't know exactly that number because, again, remember, this is why when we say Red Tails, the first to go over, there were the four squadrons that comprised the 332nd, which later became the the Red Tails. But anyway, the short of it is the 99th went over first, and the 99th went over around March of forty three, and they were there until... July of 44 is when they joined up with the other three squadrons. So the 99th who had the first to shoot down an aircraft, Charles B. Hall, was not even with the, what they call it, the Red Tails. So oh. the men of 99, 99th, some of them returned home and never even flew with uh, the 332nd. Probably do Yeah, some of them returned home. Among them a guy named... Um, Chuck Dryden, and he always tell people, he wrote his book, he was called A-Train. He said, I'm not a red pilot. We were the 99th. Had it not been for our success, we might not have had the other three squadrons to come over, which was about a year later.
3: You okay, know, babe. I know
2: I remember
1: the, uh, uh, okay, Zella, we're going to break for our next break, and we'll be back in about two minutes,
2: okay? Sure, thanks.
3: The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four patientcarefoundation.org go to our site and please make a generous tax deductible donation and join the fight today thank you
1: and
0: again want to remind everybody if you didn't hear the first message uh, hear this one and that is if you're in the atlanta area or in georgia on vacation or just or happen to live here and you haven't been to the georgia military veterans hall of fame it is outstanding it's downtown across the street from the Capitol in the uh, uh, Floyd building. And... uh it's a great day trip and particularly if you have young kids or not young kids but kids that understand history and are interested in history you can go to the floyd building and uh, they have a great uh, restaurant there make it a all-day trip and you will enjoy it like you wouldn't believe the executive director uh, colonel rick white retired uh, colonel white does one heck of a job he is it's just amazing and uh the induction ceremony for the next class will be this coming November the 7th in uh, Columbus, Georgia, and looking forward to it. And if you can go to that, they'd love to have you there as well. And uh, as Rick always says, bring your own box of Kleenex because you're going to hear stories that are unbelievable about our veterans. The greatest generation and those that fought in Vietnam, Korea, wherever. Um, we have, uh, there have been inductees now from Desert Storm and Desert Shield. Anybody that puts on a uniform is a hero, be it a first responder or our military. And I salute our military every, every week and on a couple of different shows as well. So with that being said, we're going to turn back to Pete and his guest, and more about a very interesting group of airmen. Back to you, Pete.
1: Thank you, David. let's stay on the Red Tails for just a second before we go to the next segment. They built an outstanding record in Italy, great pilots. Uh, Do you know how long that they had to stay there? Was it like they flew so many missions or they were just there for six months? You know anything about that?
2: No, I just know that. That again, I was told that for the airmen, they usually because it was hard getting replacement pilots. Again, because it was segregated, and they only trained at Tuskegee. Then the other place they would train would be uh, Selfridge Field. So they did not have a lot of places that they got the airmen from. Uh, another place, sorry, was Walterboro. It was at Walterboro, really, where they had the replacement pilots. So they said, "Kassidi, they got the initial training. Walterboro uh, was is the field that they would get their replacement pilots trained. And at Walterboro, because it took so long, they again being segregated, they did not have all of the tools always needed to get the pilots ready. They flew longer in combat than uh, most white pilots ever did. So they definitely." you know, flew longer, so their lives would, uh, you know, more, it was more of a chance of dying and being shot down in combat because they were in the air so often.
1: I can't imagine that some of these men uh, that belonged to the Red Tails were not only gallant aviators, they probably thoroughly enjoyed getting those P-51s up in the air and going into combat. I mean, I know there's fear and scare and everything else, but there had to be an immense pride. And these men to be doing that.
2: Yes, and for them, they, like I said, of of the planes, now they flew 4 types in combat overseas, the P-39, the P-40, the P-47. Some said they really enjoyed the jug. You know, of course, they called it the jug. But the P-51, of course, you know, was the ideal plane because it was almost like the jet of its day. And so that, you know, it's sleek-looking and all of that, but they were talking about when it came to durability, of course, that that P-47 was an incredible machine.
1: Yeah, that was the thunder, thunderbolt, I said. They call it the jug. Uh, yes. And the, th- uh, yeah. But it, it was a remarkable, very, very uh, uh, protective of the pilot. So that's why a lot of them liked it. Uh, but the P-51 got most of the recognition, as did the B-17 over the B-24 Liberator. Um Okay, Zelly. I'll tell you what. Let's, uh, I remember, by the way, when Cox Enterprises had the defeating um, uh, the airmen there for a very special event, and those red tails were hoots. I mean, that, some of them were so funny. It, it was
2: amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, they were, again, young guys who were, you know, when they went over, of course, young. I mean, one was as, as young as 19. You know, so in their latter years, of course, they, they were just, I mean, amazing men. They really were. They were the cream of the crop. Uh, I must say I, I'm, I'm grateful to America. I am for choosing the men they did because most of these men were already educated. I mean, some, when they went in, already had degrees. Some had been instructors. And, uh, but, again, they, they were well-rounded. You know, you had people who were intelligent, but yet still you had those who had a sense of humor, and when they talked, they could, you know, just, just keep your attention so, because, you know, they were really gifted.
1: Yes, they were. I, I remember, one, every time he said something, you started giggling. Uh, and the people just loved it. it. It was it was a great, great event and everything. Okay, let's discuss shortly. When these guys came back, did they muster out of the military? And uh, also, did, when did the airfield close for good?
2: Okay, when they came back, the course of war ended in 45, Tuskegee they was still open the base itself, Tuskegee Army Airfield until around uh, almost the summer of 46. But a lot of them that came back again, they did leave the military, they went into civilian life and occupations, but the ones that remained in once Tuskegee Army Airfield closed in 46, they ended up at Lomborn, uh Air Force Base and that is in uh, Columbus, Ohio. So that's where you had the Tuskegee Airmen. And now, even though they went in 46, they would be, again, segregated, and they were at Lockbourne until 49.
1: Huh. Okay. And and there was one guy, uh, what was his name, Uh, Carl Johnson,
2: I believe, that ended up flying with the Chinese. Is that correct? Yes. He, got, he was uh, in the last class to train at Tuskegee Army Airfield, and that last class was class 46 feet, so he became ill. He, uh, he completed uh, primary and basic. He only needed advanced. He was hospitalized, and uh, when he got out of the hospital because the program had closed, they sent him to Fort Enid in Oklahoma, and there the only pilots that were in training were the Chinese. So he That's actually good. trained with the Chinese. Completed, uh, advanced training, the three months there. And when he, uh, on his day of graduation, he sent me his picture. They gave him two sets of wings. He has the Chinese wing because again, the Chinese were being trained, but they were going back to China to fly. And he has his American wing. So he is a Tuskegee Airman who ended up getting his final training with the Chinese and then they sent him to (laughs) Longbourn. I wonder how he uh,
1: uh, and the Chinese interacted, and how they got along. Probably very well, don't
2: you think? Yeah, they did, but he did tell me that most of them, well, the, they were very short people and yeah. how when they were in the in the planes, how they had to sit on something, you know, really to, to kind of get them, you know, in a position where they could fly. <laughs> but he said, you know, they got along well. Uh, again, he sent me pictures where he's with them. But like you said, they did not speak, you know, they, I think there were two that spoke English, you know, pretty well. But overall, they did not because they were sent from China.
1: That is fascinating. That, that's a, that's movie material right
2: there, but I don't know if it would be a serious movie or uh, a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I located for him, Carl, and Carl Johnson is still alive. He's now 95. Uh, wow. And, and, and what he did, Now uh, he ended up with three sets of wings. He of course had his American wing. He had, he had the Chinese wing of course that they you know gave him in the picture. And then he ended up he ended up with a regular army. So he was at born. He ended up getting out, I think he said in forty eight. And he ended up going back into the military. But this time he was in the regular army and he would fly in the regular army as I'm gonna say a liaison pilot. You know, where you have to ail on your wings. Wow! Now that three thirty
1: second group, they uh, while they were at Lockbourne, they, they participated in some kind
2: of a aerial gunnery competition. Did pretty well, didn't they? It did. Uh, in May of forty nine, so here they are at, at Lockbourne, in, from forty six to July forty nine. But in the late in late April of forty nine, they got a directive that all fighter groups, all active fighter groups were invited to participate in a nationwide aerial gunnery competition so that for the first time blacks would fly with whites. And so they went in May of 49, it was a 10-day competition, uh, shooting at targets in the air and on the ground. And when that competition ended, uh, let me just say, too, in that competition, there was a competition for the jet class, and the conventional class. The Tuskegee Airmen who flew the propeller aircraft were flying in the conventional competition. They won for that competition. There were 12 teams in all. Seven flew jets and five flew conventional aircraft. They won the conventional aircraft portion. Wow. Uh, quite a record. Quite a
1: record. That, that is great. Um, there was one Tuskegee Airman uh, I interviewed there in Conyers. Uh, uh, his name fails me. Um, you know which one I'm talking about. I think it was it was it Bristow Thomas
2: Bristow. I'm not. Well, mm-hmm. It uh, wasn't Thomas Bristow. It, tell you what, if you remember a little bit of what he did, I could kind of recall.
1: I believe he was a mechanic and stayed in the military for a lot of years. Um, well, it was it th- Val Archer? Val, yes, Val Archer. I'm sorry, I forgot that name. Uh, what a guy he is! Uh, yes, he, he stayed in for quite a while. Well you I know, he was very proud uh, of his service. Um, he, I think, he was a mechanic for a while, and then went on to do other things in the military. Very, very, very sharp
2: gentleman. And uh, is he still with us, Zilly? Yeah, he is. Um, in Atlanta, we still have about five uh, of the airmen, the oldest being, we'll turn 99 this year. But, yeah, he wow. is still with us, Val Archer. But the oldest here is uh, Dr. Hillard Pouncey, and he has an amazing story. He didn't become a pilot, but he was, a, uh, he was with the bomb group, the 477th, as a bombardier navigator. Huh. Okay, do we have any of the fighter pilots still with us? There are, the the number is said to be only about eight of the Red Tails, you know, because those men who were at the end are, are still alive, and the oldest being Charles McGee, who's 100 now. Charles huh. McGee turned 100 in December, and he's still with us, but there are eight of the, quote, Red Tail pilots, the fighters. Wow, wow.
1: That is that is amazing. These guys are still around. This is part of the greatest generation that very few people know about unless they went to see the movie Red Tails. Uh, and yeah. this is a part of history that I think needs to be taught in our schools. I think it would be great role models for our children of all races, creeds, and colors. Uh, there is a lot of history with the Tuskegee Airmen. There's a lot of history. With the with the whites in World War two there there were Hispanics that they were actually there was actually a Muslim uh, group that fought uh, for the United States in World War two So many contributed in World War II, uh, and especially on the home front here, these guys went off to war, and their loved ones didn't know when they were coming home. It, it was uh, an amazing time where everybody joined together. To, to fight for America, even with, with racial tensions or racial problems, or even some people were uh, anti-Jewish or they didn't like Catholics. Uh, with World War II, you have to put that aside, because I think a lot of people found out that in combat, we all bleed the same color of blood. Would you agree on
2: that? Yes, yes. And, and, Pete, I would like to add, I think that it would be great if it was also taught about the sacrifices they made at home, you know, the people who really, what they did to make sure that the war efforts were a success, you know, how women were no longer being able to wear stockings, and and how they preserved the grease, I mean, you know, the, the oil from frying and all of this, I mean, that people really did help to make the war effort a success. And that way, hopefully, we today would be more patriotic in doing our part to make sure that America succeeds in whatever we need to do as one people.
1: That's a good statement, Zelly. I love that. I know that uh, one of my fellow authors and your fellow author, Rona Simmons, has written a book about the uh, men who served in support roles. You don't hear anything about them, and they did have an important role in World War II and still have an important role. Great. Okay, I think we're going to move to our last break, Zelly. We'll be back in just a couple minutes, okay?
3: So call seven seven zero six nine six nine eight six two and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
0: Whether well, cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on americaswebradio.com. And don't forget, when you're in Atlanta or if you live here, put down the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame as a must to go visit. Right across the street from the Capitol, and you'll love every moment that you're there, and guaranteed, you will learn something. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay,
1: we're back with Zellie Orr, Absolute Authority on the Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, Zelly, tell us a little bit about the black women who uh, served at the Tuskegee Army Airfield and what they did.
2: There were women that included, of course, we know the nurses. Matter of fact, not only were they, nurse, they were nurses there, there were women who also, as I mentioned earlier, there were the mechanics. They had women who <laughs> taught the men how to pack their parachute. They had women who... <laughs> were also able to, um, well, first of all, there were women who could fly, like Mildred Carter, who had her civilian pilot's license, and and the beast ended up being with the quartermaster division. Unfortunately, she wanted to fly with the WASP and had applied, but they did reject her because she was black. But there were women who were on the ground in support roles. One woman actually worked, worked in the control tower. So there were so many positions that women worked in, you know, as far as secretaries and clerical, that contributed again to the success of the Tuskegee Airmen program.
1: And that goes back to what you said about uh, someone need to write a book, maybe called "The Home Front," uh, about these people that did work uh, on the ground and and what they sacrificed and what they did. I think learning
2: how to pack your parachute is probably pretty important, don't you? Oh yes. For sure. <laughs> Essential, especially when you need it, right? You want to make sure that it is packed right and it opens properly. <laughs> okay. I, uh,
1: uh, my new book uh, is coming out this month, Sally. It's about female warriors past and present. I call it Fights Like a Girl. And one of the chapters is, I call it The Sweethearts of Sweetwater. Uh, the Ross trained in Sweetwater, Texas for a while. And I had mentioned Mildred Carter, who did apply. She was very qualified. Uh, She should have been one of the pilots, but they were having such a tough time getting uh, finance from the Congress and support from people that they had to struggle for every dime, and there was some sabotage against the Wyndham pilots, which is a, a sad chapter in our nation's history. But the lady in charge of the WASP uh, did tell Mildred that she wished she could bring her on, but she had enough uh, problems just getting other women uh, in the air. I do know that the WASP had uh, a couple Hispanic pilots, and they also had one Native American Indian that was actually
2: killed uh, in an aircraft. Yeah. And they had two Chinese. I right. do, yeah, I had to do a report on uh, women in aviation for a uh, any project I worked on. And it, unfortunately the only woman that, women that did not get included was African American or black women. But you had mm-hmm. like you said, yeah. Yeah they had mm-hmm.
1: did,
2: did did uh tell us a little bit about Mildred. What wh- what happened to her? Mildred ended up her she married a pilot from the fourth class uh, of graduates, Eugene her, Herbert Eugene Carter, and she ended up, and once she was married, she just, like she said, for her leisure, she still flew, but she ended up, again, being ground support there at Tuskegee Army Airfield, so she, you know, just never, of course, she had four children, but Mildred ended up just kind of putting her own ambition on the back burner. Now,
1: I do know they they flew
2: together sometimes, did they not? They rendezvoused in the sky? They did, yes. She in the Piper Cub and Eugene Carter in the T-6. And uh, they would, you know, he'd let her know when he was going to be flying, and and she would get, you know, be able to get her some hours in, and she would go up, and like she said, sometimes he would just tip his wing, but, of course, he had a sturdier and faster, you know, a better plane, so he would just kind of, you know, leave her behind and do little Little, little rolls around her plane. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so they sparked each other on the ground, sparked each other in the air, too, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, love was in the air. It was all around. Like that, love was in the air. Uh, that is amazing. All right, I want you to discuss uh, that Fred Hutchinson, Jr. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about him in World War Two.
2: Yeah, Fred Hutchinson, Jr., was from Evanston, Illinois, wanted to fly in America, but at the time they were not accepting black pilots, so he volunteered and went to Canada. So when he ended up flying with the Royal Canadian Air Ferry Command, and for the first time blacks, and he is the only known black, took ferry bombers, and he actually flew bombers to England, or, you know, across the Atlantic. So if you Google Fred Cutterson, Jr., you find out that after he flew with the Royal Canadian uh, Ferry Command, he ended up in 1944. He ended up working at Tuskegee as one of the instructors. So there he, you know, became an instructor. And it's the same story with other airmen that actually ended up, and he had two sets of wings, the Canadian wings and American wings.
1: That's amazing. That's amazing. And, he, and as far as you know, he's the only black man that flew bombers across the
2: Atlantic, is that right? Ever, yes. The bombers that got trained at Tuskegee on B-25 never got to fly in combat at all. Now, I think the the Tuskegee airmen that were trained on the B-25
1: medium bomber, they were destined for the Pacific, weren't they? Yes, they were, yes. Okay. Now, did any of the, I think you mentioned some of the Tuskegee airmen did go to the Pacific Theater. Can you expand on that a little bit? That was the
2: 93rd, okay, some of the airmen from that were at Tuskegee. What happened is, is that some of the men end up watching out. And as they said, quote, watching out, they did not just put them out of the program. They put them into training where they would go into the regular Army side. And that's how they get to fly with the 92nd and the 93rd. But the 93rd, they're the ones that actually flew in the South Pacific.
3: The okay. 92nd,
2: you know. And, and, by the way, guess what? The 92nd became known as the Buffalo Soldier Unit. So there's a connection of Tuskegee Airmen who washed out at Tuskegee uh, from the fighter group. But, anyway, they were accepted into the regular Army program, becoming liaison pilots, and on their you know, they have the buffalo on their um, shoulders. You know, huh. that's what they were.
1: That is amazing. We're uh, about two minutes short from... Um talking about our next guest, and maybe David has some questions, too. Delia, is there anything else, young lady, that you would like to tell us about the Tuskegee Airmen that we
2: certainly may not know? No, it just that, uh, again, they what proud people they were because they proved that anyone, regardless of color, given an opportunity could prove their worth, and that's what they did.
1: Okay, very good, very good. Uh, David, are you still with us? Oh, yeah,
0: always. By the way, uh, you mentioned Sweetwater, Texas, which is uh, just outside of Lubbock, Texas, in the Panhandle, and uh, where you went turned out to be Reese Air Force Base, and for many, many years, it was a training Air Force Base, and then uh, one of our astute uh, presidents decided to close it down, which was a mistake, as uh, I had a... uh, I farmed out very close to uh, Reese Air Force Base, and uh, really? I looked up one day, and here was a uh, uh, B-50 smoking like crazy, making an emergency landing, B-52, bomber, making an emergency landing at Reese Air Force Base. and uh,
2: Really?
0: Yeah, but uh, what when you mentioned Sweetwater, it actually turned out to be Reese Air Force Base. I can't hear
2: this. I'm, I'm, so I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. David, do you have any questions for Zoe? Uh, no. Uh, she uh, she did a heck of a job, uh, and I learned a lot from her just listening to the show today. And I appreciate it and appreciate... You know, this is what we need, though. We need historians that will tell the truth. And any time I hear of rewriting history or a history book has, has uh, dedicated three pages to World War II... I just cringe, and that answers a lot of questions of the problems that we're having today.
1: I agree with that right there, and I think Zelly would agree that uh, all of our children, all of them, uh, regardless of race, creed, color, we need role models for these children. And some of these veterans, that the ski airmen—I mean our B fifty B fifty two pilots, like uh, 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 Edgar. Lewis. Uh, Lewis, okay, he's one of the first black B fifty two pilots. Blue bombing missions over Vietnam. Uh, these guys are heroes, and they they faced a lot of problems getting their wings that some people didn't have. And I think the, the tenacity and the bravery and the sheer absolute the, the grit of some of these men to end up behind the controls of a D-52 bomber in basically a, a uh, segregated society at that time. I mean, these are outstanding men that, that I think the children need to know about. This is part of our history. These, these guys are role models, and I think that our children should be looking up to these guys for, for uh, let's say,
2: leadership. What do you think, Zell? I totally agree. And I want to also thank you, Pete, and also thank David for your service. God bless you, and thank you for what you did to make sure that our nation and the world remain free.
1: Well, thank you very much. That, that's very sweet of you, But I'll tell you one thing. Uh, you've been around veterans to know this. Um, it doesn't matter race, creed, or color. When veterans get together, they always have a conversation. <laughs>
0: okay, okay. uh Pete, you you just brought up something. I want to ask Sally one question. And this is Go a ahead. this is a tough one, ma'am, and, and I hope you can answer it. But if you, do you know any vet that can tell one story? Dave,
2: Pete, I couldn't hear him. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> do you know of
1: just one veteran that only has one story to tell? Oh no. <laughs>
2: I don't, I guess, because, look, their stories are intermingled with so many others that they meet and know, you know, so, but no, I don't, and uh, unfortunately, it might be a good thing, because, you know, as we meet people, we end up hearing and learning from them, and we share their accounts.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I would
2: like to mention, David, if we have
1: time. Well, we're uh, running out quickly. Okay. My next week's guest is Brigadier General Steve Blanton. Uh, he flew uh, the Cobra gunships in Vietnam, and also the Huey gunships. should be a very interesting uh, story.
0: Great. Uh, zally thank you for joining uh, Pete, and we'll look forward to next week's show. You're listening to America's Web Radio, and stay tuned for more. You're listening to America's Web Radio Thanks on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.